If you're looking for a way to help birds or take your support to the next level, this May, I would love for you to join the Birds Canada Birdathon. It's easy to participate in and helps raise thousands of dollars for bird conservation. Learn more at birdscanada.org slash birdathon. Now let's get to the episode. From Birds Canada, this is The Warblers. This is The Wake Up Call, a special podcast series from The Warblers by Birds Canada. I'm Andrea Gress. Join me as I speak with experts about our most threatened bird species, why these species are at risk, and what conservation actions are being taken. And finally, what we can all do to help. Welcome back to another Warblers podcast. We have a really special episode for you today. Yes, it's part of the Wake Up Call series, so you already know that you're going to get a deep dive into a species at risk here in Canada. But not only are we learning about the Black Swift, we're also tagging along on an adventure to look for them in the lush, green, waterfall-filled forests of British Columbia. This episode is pretty unique from our others. Many of our other episodes are more of an interview style, but this one is more like a road trip with a team of researchers. Leading the adventure is Chris Koo. He works on an array of projects with Birds Canada, including the regular editing and sound engineering of our podcast episodes. His skills really shine through in this episode as he takes you on a Black Swift survey as part of a Birds Canada-led monitoring initiative. Hi there, Chris here. Before we begin, I would like to respectfully acknowledge that we recorded this podcast episode in different locations across the unceded and ancestral territories of the Coast Salish people, an area that is known today as southwestern British Columbia. Indigenous people have been stewards and guardians of this land since time immemorial. And as an organization, we understand that Indigenous voices and continued work on the land is crucial to wild bird conservation. I'd like to give a special thank you to the Matsqui, Stolo, Lilwat, and Tilthquet First Nations for their interest and involvement in the work that we are doing for the Black Swift. It has been an absolute honor to be welcomed onto your lands and to work alongside community members. The Black Swift is a mysterious bird that is considered to be endangered under the National Species at Risk Act and is blue-listed under the Provincial BC Wildlife Act. Canada is home to over 81% of the North American Black Swift population, and Canadian Breeding Bird Surveys reported a staggering 90% population decline from the 1970s. As we continue our work to understand, recover, and safeguard the species, we are dedicated to continuing outreach and relationship building with local Indigenous communities. We want to ensure that rights, voices, and knowledge are integrated and respected in this endeavor. Today, I'm joined by Remy Torrenta, our BC Projects Coordinator. What I like the most about them is that they are incredibly mysterious. Arguably, the most mysterious bird species of North America. Why? Because we don't know many things about it, to be honest. For example, you know, we often see them feeding very high in the sky, but where are these birds nesting during the breeding season? And where do the Canadian populations migrate to their wintering ground? These are answers we don't have. Lindsay Lalach, our BC Species at Risk Technician. I love how mysterious of a bird they are and how unique their nest sites are. And Eve Kenny, the Conservation Area Interpreter. 
I think my favorite part about learning about the black swift is how much parental care goes into each chick. So for a bird their size, the chick ends up staying in the nest for much longer than many other species, and both parents kind of dote on it and hunt every day searching for insects and return only in the evening, and I I think that's a really sweet dynamic. (laughs) Our goal today is to survey four waterfalls across the greater Vancouver area in BC to hopefully find at least one black swift nest at each site. We're currently on a very bumpy forest service road, making our way to our first stop. So black swifts are part of the aerial insectivore group, and that is a group of declining birds that feed exclusively on insects while flying. As part of this group of aerial insectivores, black swifts are currently listed as endangered, and they face a lot of threats that other aerial insectivores face, including loss of habitat, increases in food availability due to pesticide use, and other various impacts that are being imposed through climate change. We'll dive deeper into those conservation challenges later in the episode. So black swifts are the largest of the swift family. And like other swifts, they're often described as cigars with wings. So they have quite a a stout, almost rectangular body shape and these long, sickle-shaped, tapering wings. So when you see them in flight, they're very distinct just by their size and shape. If you can get a bit of a closer look, they're quite dark in color, almost a a dark sooty color with a little bit of of white around their beak. It kind of makes them look like they've got a little white moustache, which is really sweet. Specific features to look at when comparing them to other swifts is that they have a shallower and a slower wing beat. A swift flying looks a little bit like uh, an erratic boomerang that kind of has a mind of its own. You never really can predict where they're going. Uh, They're very quick. So as the team mentioned, you can often find black swifts flying high up in the sky during the summer, performing acrobatic flight maneuvers and catching insects. But it's their nest and nesting habits that have challenged researchers for many, many decades. Black swift nests are in fact so mysterious that they were only described in 1901. And ever since then, these birds have been known to nest in really inaccessible areas. So they nest around canyons and near waterfalls and also caves. I recently talked to some cavers on Vancouver Island and they actually saw lots of black swifts. So they are nesting there. We don't know much about it, but they are. And sometimes behind waterfalls, so really inaccessible places. Uh, It's likely to avoid potential predators like mammals or even birds of prey. What's important is no direct sunlight, a sort of an obstructed flyway and a high drop so they can, you know, directly fly away from the nest. And they need this humidity or at least a good water flow or humid conditions during the whole bring season, probably because the chick is fed uh, very infrequently. And so it needs to stay in this physiological state of torpor to save energy. You know, like the same state as when animals hibernate. So these colder, humid conditions at the nest may actually facilitate this torpor state while the adults are away feeding because the torpor enables animals to survive periods of um, reduced food availability. So we've just arrived at our first site and we're getting ready to find some black swift nests. I just noticed that you've got a very interesting shirt on. Can you describe it for us? It has what I can only guess are barn swallows on it. That's amazing. To their fort tail. I got it at a thrift store. Just for the job. 
After about 40 minutes of hiking uphill, we arrive at a viewpoint and use our binoculars and scopes to search for cup-shaped nests that are made out of moss. Blacksmith nests are incredibly well camouflaged and it's not exactly the easiest job looking for them along steep and dangerous ledges. Hopefully stable enough. <laughs> They're often in remote areas in canyons, so just accessing these sites is a challenge. You usually have to hike and bushwhack and sometimes repel down in these very remote locations. And then sometimes when you get to the site, finding a station where you can actually see the cliffs and canyons properly and getting a good sight on the birds is, a, is hard. Yeah, so At the top of the They are incredibly hard to detect, even if they are nesting at the site, because they fly very fast. You can blink at the wrong moment and then you miss them. Adults actually rarely attend the nest, especially after the hatching period. They would come only at sunrise or sunset, not necessarily every day, to feed the chick. And the feeding only lasts a few minutes. And then the adult disappears very quickly. So if you're lucky enough to detect them while flying, then you have to find the nest location. And good luck with that. The nests are very cryptic. It's a sort of perfect cup shape made of moss and other material. And it can be camouflaged behind ferns or in a niche or crevice on the cliff. But just imagine how valuable it is to discover new nests. Like for example, the colony we documented and monitored last year first colony ever uh, documented in the coastal region of BC. We've learned so much about, you know, the timing of the different breeding stages, the behavior of adults and their nest attendance, or even the chick feather development. Nothing. It's empty. Empty? It doesn't even look like a black suit nest anymore. Can I have a look? Yeah. It was different last year. Could it stay better or worse? Uh, it works. So for this waterfall, uh, no sign of black swift um, happens a lot. You know, like it's such a such a mysterious species. But there's uh, good flow today, so conditions seem right. But we saw a really cool salamander, so we didn't come up for nothing. <laughs> <laughs> so why are we here so late in the season, mid to end of August? It's because it's a very late nesting bird. The, the adults basically lay their eggs around mid, uh, mid to end of June and then they incubate until the end of July and then the chick hatches around early August and then it's going to fledge around the second week of September in BC at least. So why are these birds nesting so late in the breeding season when most other birds are raising chicks around May or June? The answer flying ants. So we know that historically the nestling phase has correlated with an abundance, increase in abundance of flying ants. So the later nesting window likely allows for a greater chance of chick success. So these ants, they emerge early August and so they had to adapt uh, probably in the past. And so think of climate change now, uh, it not only involves less water flow, which may be detrimental for those birds, but also there is this risk of mismatch between the peak of resources of flying insects and the moments when the chick is hungry. And on top of all of that, we have very little information on where the birds migrate to during the winter. 
Well, regarding Canadian populations, we actually don't know where they migrate. Um, it's kind of weird, right? Like it's 2023 and we still don't know where they migrate. But there was a study that was published a decade ago and they monitored, they tracked four individuals uh, from a population in Colorado and uh, they discovered that those birds from this population actually migrate uh, in the Amazon basin uh, in western Brazil. But regarding Canadian birds, we don't know yet. And so timing-wise, they leave for fall migration typically in mid-September, arriving at their wintering areas in late to late September to October and returning to breeding sites for late May to mid-June. After packing up at our first site, we arrive at our second location with a special piece of gear that helps us find black swifts. We just hiked up, pretty quick hike, just like less than 10 minutes, up to the waterfall. And as you can hear, we're at the base of the falls now. And we're just kind of looking upslope just to kind of get an idea of what the fall is like and if there's potential for any nests here. And we've got Remy using the thermal camera. So with that, he's kind of pointing it around the edges of the falls to see if there's any heat coming off of the niches in the falls. It's very easy to detect chicks when they're on the nest with a thermal camera because there is a strong heat signature. Uh, just think of a very cool damp canyon or waterfall and if you have a mammal or a bird in the middle of it, you'll be able to detect that signature. Anything up there, Remy, so far? No, there's no red spot, so uh, we'll try a different waterfall, I guess. For our second site, we still had no chicks, so we carried on to our third location. And even though this survey work can be disappointing at times, we're lucky to be surveying around such beautiful landscapes. So we've just arrived at this beautiful swim hole, just the most beautiful turquoise, emerald green water. And yeah, we're all just very tempted to jump in and swim in right now. <laughs> it's beautiful. Uh, it's always a treat to get out and explore the province. Um, and it is definitely more meaningful when we know we're doing important work looking for this uh, endangered and mysterious bird. So uh, it's really an honor to be able to get out there and, and try to support this little bird the best way we can. I have lots of cool facts about black swifts. I'm going to try to share a few of them. So what I find the most incredible about this bird, they can spend up to eight months without roosting at all during the, the uh, non-breeding season. And if that wasn't mind-boggling enough, black swifts continue to surprise us with their flight behaviors. I think one of my favorite facts about the black swift is that it's also called the cloud swift. In a study published recently, researchers found out that moonlight can influence their flight altitude. So apparently during period, periods of full moon, they fly much higher than usual. It's probably um, because they want to avoid predators or maybe find more food. It can forage up to 4,000 meters in height, which is something akin to four and a half, five times the height of the Burj Khalifa, which of, as of recording is the tallest building in the world. So I think that's just remarkable. Um, I can't even imagine what that would look like. And uh, it's astonishing that such a tiny bird can fly so incredibly high. Also another cool fact, they reuse the same nest year after year, or they're supposed to do so. And it's not, you know, it's not a, a very usual strategy among birds in general. 
And so for Blacksmith, we have an example of a nest reused for 21 years, which is huge. And the last cool fact, I think nobody has found that yet, but last year, some people discovered Blacksmith nests on a hydroelectric dam in BC. So this is our third waterfall for today, and still no sign of Blacksmith nests or chicks. Uh, fingers crossed for the next one. So at this point, we're feeling kind of down, having driven a lot and not finding any black sifts, but we're hopeful for our fourth and final sight of the day. So this is the last waterfall that we're visiting for today, and it's the coastal colony that we featured on our video of waterfalls and wings last year. Uh, how many chicks were here last year, Remy? We detected five different nests with each of it with one chick so it's five chicks and do we have numbers for this year so this year when we came back a couple of weeks ago we only had one chick and so we want to make sure with the thermal cameras that there is only one active nest this year but if it's the case we have no idea what happened with the other chicks because the adults are supposed to reuse the same nests year after year. So we don't really know if they survived the winter migration or if they attempted to re-nest somewhere else or even are they nesting every year or not. And so we don't really know what's happening this year. So a lot of questions and... Yeah, lots of questions and not many answers. This is what you get when you study the black suit. Very classic black suit. <laughs> okay. There she is. We've arrived. Well, I can't actually see yet. But... There's like that dry patch moss there. Yeah. And then there's a little um, grayish, blackish thing. Probably better with the binoculars. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, so small. Still a tiny chick? Yeah, very small. Wow. Compared to the one you had that video of last yeah. year. That's amazing. The like big green patch of moss? Uh yes. Yeah. So it's the um uh so in the middle here there's like a V shaped rock. Yeah, yeah, rock. I see that. And then on the left-hand side, there's a pale greenish patch of moss. Oh, you see it? Yeah, so there we go. Um, oh my gosh! <laughs> wow! Oh, what a cutie! <laughs> yeah, let's do that. Set it up. Oh How's it looking on the thermal? It's looking good. Yeah. It's a it's a really big, strong it's red spot. It's a big, spot. hot little chick. Oh, nice. I think. Oh, I think it's moving. It's only taking up about a quarter of the nest. Wow. And the nest is maybe soccer ball sized. Incredible. Cutie pie. Wow. <laughs> it's got like the so tiniest cute. wings. <laughs> so yeah, it's a couple. Looks like one or two weeks ago, Max. Look at his tiny little beak. <laughs> exactly like that, sure. So as you can tell from our excitement, we found a black swift chick. 
It's important that we continue to survey these species because they are a species at risk and there's really not a lot known about different stages of their life cycle. We do have some information, but any additional data we can collect or information about their nesting or migration is hugely um, beneficial for conservation going forward. These birds are especially important to continue surveying. Firstly, because we really have very little baseline information for them regarding their population size, uh, their migration patterns, their behaviors around the nest. Before we undertake any conservation action, it's going to be extremely important to build up that foundation of knowledge, and that really starts with surveying. And then you can work in collaboration with these, you know, these different people to try your best to protect them and their habitat. And so we are working in collaboration with indigenous communities, parks and land managers, outdoor recreationists, such as, you know, canyoneers and cavers. I think it's very important to work with them as they know, they know the birds and they, they know where they are. And also maybe forestry in the future as well. And another thing that is important is that you know, when you protect their habitat, you can also protect the habitat for other species as well, as lots of other species share the same habitat features. For example, the same day we re recorded the, the podcast, uh, we detected the rare giant coastal salamander at one of the waterfall sites. So yeah, by protecting black swift habitat, you can protect other plants and animals. So people can help black swifts by entering any observation data if they see swifts or nests when they're out and about um, recreationally and also just following the leave no trace principles when you're out in the forest or canyons and being respectful that wildlife do live there and nest there and they are quite susceptible to disturbance so just being careful when you're out in the backcountry or exploring. So any information you have about the black swift is crucial. Uh, new nesting locations, for example. You can record your sightings on eBird or messages directly. Uh, you can also donate or volunteer your time at Birds Canada. And specifically for these birds, uh, as aerial insectivores, their primary diet is insects, so they are very vulnerable to the loss of insect diversity and abundance. And so things like pesticides are a major source of insect loss. And so opposing this at a larger scale and also reducing your own personal use is a great way to support the Black Swift. Of course, any action at your own scale to fight for climate action or reduce the use of pesticides can benefit the area insectivore species. You know, also you can write to your local government representative to share how important birds are. Welcome back, folks. I hate to pull you out of the rainforest, but that is the end of the surveying road trip. I hope you enjoyed learning about black swifts as much as I did. The fact that they've got a record of the same nest being used for 21 years blew my mind. Please write in if you also had a favorite fun fact from that adventure. Now, if you're dying to see what these black swifts and their hard-to-reach breeding habitats look like, we have the perfect video for you. Head over to the Birds Canada YouTube page to watch Of Waterfalls and Wings. It's a five-minute video that'll whisk you away, and you can see really stunning footage of these rare birds. 
Huge shout out to Chris for putting together such a fun episode and to the entire Black Swift monitoring team for sharing their work with us. The Warblers is a podcast of Birds Canada. Our goal is to bring you the information you need to discover, enjoy, and protect birds. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, leave a review, and share this podcast with everyone you know. Birds Canada relies on the support of donors like you. Visit birdscanada.org slash warblerspodcast to make a donation today. The Warblers is produced by Jody Allaire, Kate Dogleash, Chris Koo, and Andrea Gress, with music by Jose Mora and art by Alex Nichol. Until next time, keep birding. <laughs>